Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you all for joining me here again. We are still at it. Uh, coming out of this hiatus strong. Got some new episodes in the works. Uh, got another interview with the wonderful John Champion coming up next week. So I'm super excited about that. But in the meantime, if you were looking to get a hold of us, you can find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. Uh, you can also find us on our anchor page, anchor.fm forward slash fuel your fandom. And if you're really looking hard, you can find us on the Seattle Wave Radio page, seattlewaveradio.com. Just look for the banner ad at the top of the page. It'll take you to where we are there. But in the meantime, I would love, just absolutely love, to welcome back a guest to this show who is a very important part of this show. And uh, COVID has kind of kept us apart for a while, but uh, you can't keep a good dog down. Uh, I want to welcome back Tom. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Hey, everybody, I'm Thomas. I keep calling you Tom. It's all right. I, I can't tell whether you like Tom or Thomas or... Uh, well, the family calls me Tom. Everybody yeah. else in my life calls me Thomas. I think that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah, so... Well, welcome back to the show, Thomas. Thank you. Appreciate it. How's, uh, how's the isolation been treating you? Uh, it's okay. I don't really get out much in the first place, so... I don't really miss the bar scene. You know, I, I didn't miss out on any shows or anything. Introvert problems. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that really changes now you have to. Right. Well, now I have to wear a mask, but I also kind of like that because then I don't have to smile for people. I don't either. I wear the mask and I'm silently mouthing swear words under my breath. <laughs> most of these people. And it's actually pretty fantastic. And so I noticed that you've been uh, experimenting with uh, RC building and, and things like that? Yeah, well, I always tend to fall into the hobbies that my immediate close friends always get into. So, like, last year I got a motorcycle. This year I got an RC car. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we got these little 124th scale RC cars, and I s dropped a bunch of money into it and bought a Revel model of a Halo Warthog body and put that on there, and that's been really fun. took me a couple months to finish. Yeah, I saw some of the videos that you made with that. Those are pretty cool. Yeah, it's been really satisfying. I like getting into little hobbies that I can do with my hands. I've thought about starting on some Starship models, but I really have no patience for model building. or. Well, nowadays, um, especially from Bandai, they're all snap fit and they're pre-colored. So they have, you know, you don't have to get paint anymore. You don't need glue anymore. It's more like a very well, well-crafted Lego system. Nice. Yeah. I was uh, actually, I shop on a, a website called Big Bad Toy Store. Mm -hmm. uh, I pre-ordered a little micro scale uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game, yeah. which I'm super excited about, except they're taking their dear sweet time to get it to me. Yeah. But uh, as I was flipping around on their Bandai Select models, they had a model of Cup of Noodle, the Nissan Cup of Noodle. And everything is included in this model. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like it's got all the little colored plastic. It's all pre-colored. Yeah. So they got like the colored like little shrimp pieces, right. the chicken carrots, pieces, peas. and they got like a, a, a it's like a soft like not paper but like a plasticky that you can cut up for the little leaks and yeah. and all the words on the side of the styrofoam are all like pressed out in plastic and you just kind of mash them together and yeah nobody does like quality toys like bandai does they're really above everything else well affordable stuff you can get some really high-end collector pieces from other companies but bandai definitely has the best price point for really impressive stuff you hear that bandai we're not a sponsor but uh if you're if you're thinking about it we're yeah. right here yeah and they make all sorts of cool stuff some old japanese toys you can still get megazords Oh, yeah. Now, I saw one of the ones that I used to uh, watch as a kid, and I never knew, I'm, before I even knew what anime was, uh, was, uh, I forget what his Japanese name is, but it was Transor Z. Oh, uh, yeah, something Kaiser Z. Something like that, yeah. And yeah. So they got all the big robots for that, and it's like, it, it brought back a lot of nostalgia. But anyways, uh, this is, episode is not supposed to be about Bandai and their toys and... We are talking about toys, though. We Just, are, so it did tie together. Mm -hmm. But uh, so kind of what I've been thinking about, Tom, and I know uh, I've had a lot more time to spend with video games and video game-related materials during this 
uh, quarantine. Like you, I'm not much of an extrovert. I kind of stay home and stay to myself. Uh, I'm in a band. I'm, I'm a musician, so I go out when the obligation strikes, but for the most part, I'm found at home playing video games. So, uh, One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is we're on the cusp of a new console generation. Mm-hmm. And you know me, I have all of them. Yep. Uh, going back uh, to the beginning of the PlayStation line, to the beginning of the Xbox line, and, and even what I thought was the beginning of the Nintendo line. So I've got a lot of systems. I spent a lot of time with a lot of different systems. But one of the things, like I said, we're coming up on the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. And there are three big players in the video game market right now. Three main players. And that's going to be your PlayStation with Sony, uh, your Xbox with Microsoft, and of course your Nintendo. Now everyone is always really keen to point out uh, each console's development mm-hmm. and and how they stack up against each other. If you, it's a giant dick waving contest right yeah. now between PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah, there's always those side by side YouTubes yeah. of the exact same video game to see which one looks better on which console. It's like oh, there's a little bit of a shadow over here, so that right. means this one's better, and mm-hmm. this one's running about one frame per second better, so you should spend the extra hundred dollars here. Right. But the thing that they always try to do is I find that they've always been trying to rope Nintendo into their uh, dick measuring contest, if you will. And I know that's a crass way to put it, but, I mean, really, it's what it is. Well, mine can do this. Well, mine can do this. Or yeah. My dad can beat up your dad. And, yeah. and and they've always tried to drag Nintendo kicking and screaming into that because Nintendo is always right there with them, releasing new generations of consoles pretty regularly with the PlayStation iterations and the, and the Xbox iterations. Well, yeah, I think uh, Nintendo first had the first console war with Sega. Mm-hmm. You know, they were really going back and forth, and they even had those, you know, um, tongue-in-cheek ads calling each other out, saying Sega does what Nintendo doesn't. <laughs> I remember um, those. The, yeah, there was a hu- that was a huge selling Sega does for a couple of years. But, you know, then we all know how that went. Sega killed itself with the Dreamcast by overpricing, not having enough software, and then another competitor was already on the market at the time with PlayStation, and, you know. Yeah, they never really recovered Sega uh, from the Dreamcast or the Saturn. The Saturn was kind of a miss as well. You kind of look over the Saturn because it was was not as good as the PlayStation, but it came out first, and Sega Saturn's big selling point was, hey, all your arcade favorites at home because it had Virtua Fighter, it had Mm -hmm. um, whatever that Sega racing game was. You know, had a bunch of the cool arcade games that you could then play at home, but people didn't want to spend three hundred dollars for the console. Then <laughs> just to play arcade games at home, just yeah. to play a twenty-minute-long arcade game. So they kind of doomed themselves. And then, yeah, the Dreamcast was basically a P- PS2, like three years ahead of time. But again, it was a ex- very expensive, pi- very expensive price point, and not very many impressive games. There's only like three or four that I would say were even worth playing when it came out. Right. And so, yeah, they they started, Nintendo started that whole console generation, the whole console wars. Mm -hmm. Because back in the day, before consoles were kind of mainstream, Nintendo, the Nintendo Entertainment System uh, was pretty much the the point where it became more ubiquitous in the household mm, yeah. beforehand it was kind of a niche market it was it was a it was a toy it was a flash in the pan right most people thought it was going to go like mattel thought it was just going to die mattel said we're not going to do electronics because it's just the next fad it's, to them it was the next hula hoop right which is why you saw so many people making uh, the atari 2600 right. it was not just one uh, company making it it was mm-hmm. several companies making it same thing with i want to say coleco was a bit more widely mm-hmm. or, or tightly held but uh your Mag- magnavox with the odyssey and and all of these pong based systems the commodore the vic 20 all of these they were out and about and available and certainly popular for what they were right but it didn't gain traction or gain foothold like it did until the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1983. Yeah, well, they sold it in Japan. It was called the Family Computer Mm because they knew that they couldn't call it some first name, last name, 700 like every other company was doing Mm -hmm. because it would 
be passed off just as such. It's just going to be another, another flash, and another band. brick breaker, mm-hmm. another pong, another thing that we, the, our kids are going to get sick of after 30 minutes because it's not that entertaining. Right. So they released the, the family computer or the Famicom, mm-hmm. which has become known as, and, uh, and from there, well, we got the uh, the U.S. version, which was, of course, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Mm-hmm. And as you said, with the Nintendo Entertainment System, or the NES for short, uh, the NES's competition primarily back in the day was first the Master System mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Sega, and then after that it was the Genesis. Yep. And so, uh, and for a long time, it was just those two. Yep. And then we got the Super Nintendo. Yep. And I forget. Like, we had like three different iterations of the Genesis before we got the the 32X. Mm-hmm. And then 32X was almost up towards uh, it was uh, supposed to be the Nintendo 64. Yeah, it was supposed to be the PlayStation competitor, which it didn't really f- do very well, which is why they I think they rushed to get the Saturn out right after that. Which proved to be their downfall unfortunately but a lot of people uh there's a lot of gray area in the release of anything but nintendo back in those periods because a lot of people look fondly on uh, the nintendo the nes the uh, super nes yeah. the uh, 64 well there were definitely i mean we'll, we'll talk definitely about family orientation later but sega was mostly sports games in my hindsight is how they built their big like surrounding and more, more fighting games. Their Mortal Kombat had blood, you know. But it was this definitely true. it was definitely Madden, um, NHL, and baseball games that were selling really hard and really well. But those were towards older gamers. Those were the dudes in their thirties who worked in the tech industry who wanted to, you know, play sports games and stuff. And so I think the fond memories of those aren't as much as like discovering a whole new world it's relaxing with something that you're already familiar with Mm -hmm. but there is no mario in real life right you don't have those flagship tentpole uh franchises i mean you have your you know toe jam and earl or you have uh, vector man vector man i like vector man oh yeah i know but you know you got you know games like sonic the hedgehog and all the different variations of sonic the hedgehog and Mm -hmm. Uh, but by and large, you're correct. They 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 weren't able really to stack up against the the family offerings that Nintendo was able to get to put together with your Legend mm-hmm. of Zelda and your Metroids and yeah, your Mario's their RPGs and were a big deal. Their breath are not what's it called? Legend of Zelda. No, the the other one. Final Fantasy. No, one more. Uh, I don't know. Oh. It'll come to you. But see, and that and that is where the Final Fantasy games got their start too. Is, right, is a lot of people fail to remember that mm-hmm. Final Fantasy one through I want to say three were NES exclusive, mm-hmm. and then four up started diverging. I think four and five are Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo, yeah. And then six and up is PlayStation. Six was wasn't six Japanese only. I honestly don't remember. I'd have to look it up. But then by the time 7 came around is when we were ended up with... Uh, I thought of it. It was Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger, nice. Yeah, that was a huge one. Yeah, but by the time uh, Final Fantasy came around to 7, that was when the Sony PlayStation had its first iteration. And that's where I feel like the, the true console wars really began. Because at that point, all of the outliers had been wiped away. You're mm-hmm. not having any more Commodore. Yeah. You're not having any more, you know, there's the no toy, Vic the 20, toy there's no Coleco, there's no Magnavox, yeah. the CDI failed, yeah. Sega failed. Yeah. And so what we're left with back in the day was PlayStation 1, mm-hmm. and I believe it was Nintendo Super 60, Nintendo and 64. Uh, the release order was Super Nintendo, then PlayStation, then 64. So a lot of people had already sunk their teeth into PlayStation, but mm-hmm. the price point was very high. Very high. It was four or five hundred dollars, which back in the early nineties was a grip ton of money. <laughs> um, but they they again didn't have tentpole franchises. PlayStation again, its leading leading steps were Gran Turismo, you know, other sports games. It was really huge on sports games back in the day. And RPGs. They started RPGs, getting yeah. into uh, highly into like your Chrono Triggers and your and your Final well, and Fantasies. The, I and think the 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 race really starts there because 
although PlayStation had bigger graphics, I think we can all look back and say graphics don't make a good game, but PlayStation had disk space. You could fit 700 megabytes onto a CD so you could build very, very large games, very, very large maps, lots of story, lots of um, in-game movies. Which you which... couldn't get into on a, on a cart-based system. Mm-hmm. And I think if you remember, Nintendo 64 usually didn't have voice. When characters are talking in their games, like especially Star Fox, Mario, it's they don't use actual words because they can't record the dialogue because they don't have the space and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So PlayStation had, sure, better graphics, but it had bigger con- or bigger storage space so ga- gaming companies could do more. That's why you got the sports games because you had 50 teams with 50 players each, you know, a lot of data going into that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the big draw for Nintendo, like we said, was the franchise systems. Mm-hmm. The you software, got software for sure. Your your Mario's and your Legend of Zelda games have always been really strong. Into the Super Nintendo, you got you know franchises like Star Wars coming in and putting their games on there, making their mark. It's Star true. Fox Those, coming the out, Rogue Fighter, and all that stuff on the on the Nintendo mm-hmm. was a big deal. And then so. But once the PlayStation rolled around, they kind of took a large chunk of that real estate. And the reasoning behind that was because they were more of a direct competitor at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you stated, PlayStation definitely had more of uh, storage capacity and the ability to do multiple disc games. Like like Final Fantasy was, what, four discs back in the day? Final Fantasy VII. And well, you also, another thing I would imagine was a big deal was you didn't need to get the Nintendo seal of quality to publish a PlayStation game. You just had to get it passed through um, the, what is that protective, the parents agency, the, the game ratings board. Yeah, the ratings board. The ratings board, board. the ESRB. Um, but basically, you could f- shovel out junkware on a PlayStation. Nintendo kept their bar of quality very, very high. And that's why you, like, if you look back on it, Nintendo games is what's on Nintendo. There wasn't that much third-party development, or if it was, it's in. It's very tightly regimented with Nintendo. So, like you know, um, Pokemon's not a Nintendo game. Pokemon's a Game Freak game, but it's on Nintendo. So you know, yeah, Nintendo owns the rights. Right. There's those kind of things, or like Kirby's not a Nintendo game. It's made by a company that worked with Nintendo. That it was Hal. Hal Hal Laboratories, yeah. Um, an Earthbound, not a Nintendo game made for Nintendo, but it's they're, they're very good at, at, at gaining licenses to things that are going to have longevity, right? And they know their brand. It's cartoony, it's kid friendly. There's not blood, there's not gore, unless you get to Conquer's Bad Fur Day. I love that game. Conquer's Bad Fur Day was definitely <laughs> one of those things that where, was a rarity, what, pun intended. Yeah, that was one of those games where Rare it was, Labs. It was an adult-oriented game on a console that was not ready for it or not you know it was just not its market it's definitely an interesting match but right and so we really didn't have a true competition of i mean we had the playstation we had the 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 nintendo and they had their own niche markets Mm -hmm. Uh, you go to nintendo for the family fair you go to playstation if you want to play a racing game or a sporting game or a a shoot 'em up Mm -hmm. something with a little more teeth Yep. But then, uh, and I forget what year it was, you might have done this one, but uh, when the Xbox was first released. Uh, I didn't get one. I remember it was, I was in middle school, so like sixth grade, so mm-hmm. I don't know, 98 or so. Yeah. Might be it, worth looking up real quick. Yeah, that's but, what uh, I'm doing right but now. But yeah, it, it was, it's still in the media, it was definitely very much a console war, because I think people back then still thought there wasn't enough room in a budget or on a family entertainment center for two systems. It's like, I, and I think parents would probably say, why do you need both? You've already got one because they're ignorant of the Nintendo software only stays on Nintendo. Historically, they don't let their properties get out. PlayStation doesn't want to make those things. They want to shoot for the older market who they think has more money. You know, right. They want to appeal to the 30 year olds that have the budget disposable to spend income, on yeah. disposable income, $60 a game a month. And the Xbox uh, originally came out in 2001. Huh. So, um, but we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back from the break, we're going to discuss the, the birth of the true console wars that rages on today and kind of Nintendo's place in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back. 
If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, welcome back. So we were discussing the advent of the Xbox in 2001. Now the Xbox came around, the PlayStation was still in intact and fighting around, and then Nintendo. So now we have our big three competitors at that point, or as people like to think of them as competitors. Mm-hmm. We Sony at the PlayStation and its various iterations, Xbox, Microsoft's foray into the field, and Nintendo just being Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I really want to stress here at this point is that it seems for all intents and purposes that once Microsoft entered the arena, the game changed. Absolutely. Because it was less about... It, it was more... I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it better. It was... It became a two-player game. Well, I think it went from console exclusivity because, like, you know, like like we were saying, Nintendo games get Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. But then you were more worried about your hardware specs because the Xbox came out after the PS2, had a little bit better hardware, games looked a little bit better, and they were, you know, trying to f- craft their own market by getting their own games. So you, that's when you got Halo. Bigger, better, stronger, bigger, faster. better, stronger, faster. And the PlayStation Two had already been out for I think a year. It came out in two thousand, um, and then the GameCube also came out in two thousand one. So you have three consoles, and if you're looking at them, you're not really sure which one to buy. So you do have to worry about which one's the better one and which one's winning the console war, because that's where you're going to be spending your money. Right, and you always see you see it like a pie chart. It's like well. Uh, Nintendo has this much of the market share, and mm-hmm. PlayStation has this much of the market share, and Xbox has this much of the market share. But people try to unfairly, I think, uh, shoehorn Nintendo into this battle. Yeah. Now, the reason I say unfairly is because while Nintendo games have been increasingly beautiful to look at, technologically savvy, they've never quite been able to keep up with uh, what your Xboxes are doing or what the PlayStation's doing because, like we said, the PlayStation and the Xbox are more worried about bigger, better, stronger, faster. And I think Nintendo's core focus for a lot of their development has been on innovation. Yeah. Because you've got things that Nintendo has done that nobody else has been able to do. Nintendo was doing three-dimensional graphics before three-dimensional graphics was a thing. I mean, it failed. Mm-hmm. If you've ever played the Virtual Boy, I always like to say it's kind of like eye-humping Cyclops from the X-Men. <laughs> you get neck strain mm-hmm. and it's not, eye it's strain. Not, it's not an enjoyable experience. It's a, it's a novel experience. It's a sure. novelty. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where Nintendo shines is because they're able to throw everything at the wall because they're not worried about bigger, better, stronger, faster. Yeah, They're worried about what can we do that pushes the envelope? What can we do that's a game changer? What can we do that... I mean, game changer, I guess, really sums it up. What can we do that's going to make a mark? Yeah, I think they've always led with, we want to make this game what kind of console plays these games. So, like, you got... with Especially starting with the Nintendo 64, because I feel like the Super Nintendo was just a better Nintendo. Yeah. It's just better 8-bit graphics. to 16-bit, yeah. But you really see some innovation with a joystick controller you know, with your thumbstick, and you get four players. Mm-hmm. So multiplayer games, they knew that you were going to make it into more than just playing by yourself. It wasn't just grinding it out an RPG by yourself for 20 hours. Is playing Mario Kart with your friends. It was Super Smash Brothers with your friends and stuff like that. Right, and every console they put out after that has always been four-plus players. Right, so and it's, it's always been, what do I want to do? Let's make a console that does that. Let's not really worry about having 
the biggest, best, whatever. Let's just make something fun. So like you get GameCube. GameCube has the controller. It's a big A button and a little B button because they wanted things simple. They just wanted things fun. Still four player, you know, and then like we, they wanted to make something with motion controls. You get your motion controller. Right. And, and that's the thing is, is everything that they've kind of thrown at the wall has led to something great. Mm-hmm. Like the virtual boy, as much of a horrendous failure as that was. Um, it led to more developments in three-dimensional graphics before uh, when vector graphics was, was a thing. And, and you ended up with a lot of those same technologies being folded into things like virtual reality. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, into their very successful 3DS line, um, which is your portable handheld three-dimensional graphics. And then you look at things like the Wii. Mm-hmm. The Wii, when it came out, was up against the Xbox, was up against the PlayStation 2, even going into the PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. The Wii did not have the graphics to even compare. And I'm left... One of it's the fun comparisons that I've found... A little bit better than GameCube. A little bit better. A little... Like an incremental... Marginally, yeah. yeah. But uh, when they came out, and, and, and there was a game that was released a while back. It was a Ghostbusters game, the tie-in for the Ghostbusters. And I distinctly remember uh, looking at the review for the version for the playstation and the version for the xbox and then realizing that the version for the wii because they did come up with a version for the wii but they dummied it down mm-hmm. they made it more cartoony more family friendly and i realized the reason that they did that was because it wasn't meant to compete and i think that's where i really started noticing that nintendo's not competing in these wars nintendo is not competing with PlayStation and Microsoft on a level playing field. They're still there. But they're working on things that stretch the marketplace open. Mm-hmm. And with the Wii, it was the motion controls. Yeah. Because no one had really done motion controls. I mean, there had been some, but there was not a push to motion control quite like what we had seen with the Nintendo Wii. And, oh man, as as big as that took off with the... The bowling games and the baseball games and the boxing. That's just the game that packed in with it. Mm -hmm. It was true innovation that led to so much more. Look what we're able to do with our controllers now. The PlayStation controllers have motion control built into the controllers. The The VR system. I go right back to VR, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because all VR systems are motion capture, motion control. Mm-hmm. And that all stems back from the Wii, mm-hmm. uh, PlayStation Four, and their their or PlayStation Three, and then PlayStation Four with their Move cameras, all got their start based on that tracking, the sensor tracking, Connect for Microsoft. Same thing. I, I mean, different application, but it all kind of stemmed from the same source, Nintendo's innovation. Yeah, well, you see Nintendo also being a lot better at putting their innovations into use. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot of games that come out for the Nintendo that didn't use. You just use the nunchuck in your Wiimote like it's a regular controller. But, I mean, there's probably less than 10 games that put the 6-axis in a PS4 controller to good use. Yeah. It was very much Few a novelty. Few and far between. Tacked on just as a selling point, barely used. Like, there's a microphone and a speaker inside a PS4 controller. I've only, like, blown out a candle in The Last of Us. I think that's the only time <laughs> I ever used it. And so, but, you know, you look at the Wii, every game has built in with the Wii Chuck or with the Wii Mote great controls and it's super fun and like no other gaming system got like senior citizens off the couch and bowling you know no for real and so nintendo a true family event yeah nintendo brings the fun first gaming as a like a computational process second and i think that's where the other companies go wrong they're like well let's make really good hardware so game developers build really good games nintendo goes let's make a system because i got a good game that i need to put on it right i already built this cool game Let's just build a little bit of a better console so that way it can run the su- like the sunset or whatever that I built in. <laughs> it's never like, oh, let's make the best system so that way it crushes our competitors. Or it's let's make something really fun. And I, and I like that you brought up the fact that it got the senior citizens involved as well because what they did with the Wii truly became like a familial event. Like I distinctly remember going to a bar in town and they were having a Wii bowling tournament. Mm-hmm. A Wii bowling tournament in a goddamn bar. Mm-hmm. People getting drunk, 
throwing the nunchucks i'm sure something someone threw a wiimote at yeah. one point i have to imagine and like you can you can sit down with any group of people and you can play super smash bros because everybody knows mario everybody knows donkey kong you can have fun just bipping each other around but you can't pick up street fighter you know you can't just jump into throwing hadoukens <laughs> it's it's a lot easier level of an entry and it just appeals to more people on just a sense of like, hey, I can pick this up and have fun right away. I don't need to learn. I don't need to go through a tutorial. I just swing my arm and press A. Right. It's a button masher's paradise, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it's great. Uh, which is why my kids get into it, I think, because they can just mash on it. And Yeah. And I, and I mean, like, we can't, it's not like Nintendo's not without faults. Like, the Wii U barely sold. Right. It was just, a, it was. But, but again, it, innovation. It's, it's, like, it's like research for hey we want to make a switch but maybe technology's not quite there yet but we still want to get something new out so it's kind of like it they're subsidizing the their own research between we and the switch yeah and like everything they learned of doing wrong on the wii u i'd say was perfected on the switch mm-hmm. you know uh, sure the wii u you could dock right use a different controller with it uh you or the the remote's a, a screen itself i kind of forget it's mostly the screen and if you look up there i got yeah. one right there it's that's the actual controller right you can play it with like your your regular controllers as well if you're a second or third player or whatever mm-hmm. but primarily they wanted you to use that tablet controller because they're kicking content out to the tablet and like you say i think they were really trying to delve into what can we do as a handheld? Yeah. Because I one... think the DS, they had two screens and that was the, the bottom screen. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was always a menu. It's never really useful. A menu or a tap map or yeah, something it, like that. So I yeah. feel like that's what they tried to do with the Wii U. Right. And, and, and that's exactly what it did, honestly. Because if you think about it, the top screen, like on your, your, your DS... The top screen is your TV. Mm-hmm. The bottom screen is what you're holding in your hand. Mm-hmm. So really all they did was carry that technology over from what they had already developed for uh, the small handheld market and brought it forward. Now, again, that's another area where I have to point out that Nintendo has really shown throughout the years is because handheld, they've always de- they've always owned that marketplace. Oh, yeah. Far, far and beyond anything their competitors could even dream of doing. Right, because back in the day when it was when I was a kid, before the Game Boy came out, it was always those Tiger games. You remember uh, the Tiger I, games? I hated Tiger games. I I know like people look back on them and remember them fondly, but I fucking hated that LCD watch screen bullshit mm-hmm. that you couldn't really tell what you were doing or what was going on. It just beep boop beeps over and over again. I was so disappointed in those right, things. and that was all. And even that was based off a of Nintendo innovation. Mm-hmm. Game and because watch. you look at back, yeah, Which, exactly. All those Game and Watch systems. Game and Watch had two screens, so we're really bringing it back with all their technology. Shit, yeah, yeah. But Nintendo has always been the forefront of the handheld gaming market, from the Game Boy to the Game Boy Color, Game Boy Pocket, Game Boy Light. I've got all of them. I love it. it, it that's one of the the passions that I've really gone through with my Nintendo collection was. Going through and collecting all of the different various handheld units that they've had, and their hardware design is so so impressive and so sleek. And I'll tell you what, one of the coolest things I got is one of my favorite handheld systems. And this is neither here nor there. This is just a testament to Nintendo. One of my favorite handheld systems was the uh, Game Boy Micro. Mm, very. And cool. while everyone was busy making their handhelds bigger and bigger and bolder and brighter and Nintendo made this little flash in the pan almost handheld that played only the GBA carts, the Game Boy Advance carts, but it was like two inches by like four inches. Very, very small, very compact. I could put it in my pocket literally and take it wherever I go yeah. without it being an impact. It takes up less space than my car keys. Did you know that the micro couldn't play reverse games because it didn't have the hardware for it? But the Game Boy Advance had a Game Boy inside of it, and that's why it could do it. I did not know It's a like completely different hardware. It's not just like running it on emulation software or something. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so that's my favorite console of Nintendo's handheld systems. And the funny thing is, is when I bought mine from the Toy Box, Ryan. Uh, shout out to Ryan, uh, he knew that I was really into that system because I had won one off of eBay and it was the black one. It was in really good shape, and I was just fucking gushing over the whole thing because I loved it so much. And then he's like, hey, I got something. 
I want to show it to you. And I'm like, okay, what? And he's like, you just hold your horses. And he showed me a picture of the box. And the box was the, it's like the anniversary edition Famicom Colors sealed in package collector's model. And it cost me a pretty penny. I'm, I'm not going to say on the air what it cost me, but. You know what I love about that's you, just because my wife would shoot me in the Is face. That, despite it being a pretty penny, you ripped that damn box. Up I you opened it, it immediately. Absolutely, it's my favorite. Yeah, but here's the cool thing about that: I bought it about eight or nine years after its shelf life, so it was still sealed in package. It had been about eight or nine years, uh, never been opened. Pulled it out, turned it right on, battery powered right up. You want to talk about? lifespan of nintendo products they made the famicom from 83 to 2003 (laughs) that's 20 years of making that console in japan they make shit to last yeah well i mean and like there's still people still love it people people will buy a brand a brand new famicom just because it's you know nostalgia and because it's well made and to get that feeling of open up that crisp packaging it's like christmas 93 all over again (laughs) yeah i still need to uh get the disc system for the famicom because i want to play oh, doki add-on? doki panic yeah well they've, they've oh wait isn't doki doki panic just super mario 2 super mario 2 is doki doki panic right it was reshelled for a mario game yeah they just changed but the I, I want to play the original i don't yeah. know why i just want to play the original it's really hard on. to find yeah but uh if any of you out there listening have a copy of doki doki panic hey slide it my way i'll give you a nice review of it but, but uh back to the console wars i feel like now that still happens between playstation and xbox but nintendo's removed itself from being that race where it's not i'm not they've proven that they're not trying to make the best gpu they're not trying to make the fastest loading systems all they're trying to do is make really fun games and it just so happens to be on their own hardware which also happens to be really cool and innovative Mm -hmm. like a nintendo switch Portable gaming system, at-home gaming system, you know, it's super cool, super neat. And then all Xbox can do is like, well, we can't put money into making anything else, but you can stream it to your Android, you know. So it's, they're just doing completely different things. Yeah, and and, and again, I want to say that Nintendo has been mainly focused still, to this day, on family titles, family-friendly stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, they've gotten themselves some really good ports yep. of games that are a bit more intense. Yeah, well, they, uh, had, they got they, Doom and, and The Witcher. and They were home to the Monster Hunter franchise there for quite, for quite a while, and mm-hmm. they made... That sold that game sold millions and millions and millions. I don't think I've ever played that one. It's a select breed. It's pretty much... You've got to be really into grinding out gear. <laughs> but it's... I mean... But that's the thing is... I think... In my mind, Nintendo's always been software first, cool games first, but you have to buy a Nintendo console to play them on. Like right. I've, I've always wanted to play the next generation of Super Smash Bros., so I have to get the console it comes on. Right, or like the next iteration of Legend of Zelda. Now, right. I played Breath of the Wild when it came out. I played it on my Wii U mm-hmm. because I'm like, ah, I can't justify going out and buying uh, a Nintendo Switch right now mm-hmm. and because you know while I do have all of the consoles, they come... Not always brand new off the shelf because, well, I'm poor. Oh, and I've <laughs> never been one to buy games new. I mean... Yeah, you don't want to be an early adopter. It doesn't can, pay they, sometimes. They can... Software developers definitely earn their $60 for, get, for making the game, but I just... I can't afford it. And I know it's going to be $5 next year, so I'll just wait. <laughs> it's going to show up on Game Pass. Yeah, it's, it's always on Game Pass or the <laughs> Ultimate Edition with all the DLC is like 3 bucks. It's always It's always worth it to wait for me. That's why I keep getting screwed. Now, I, I, it's, it's no secret that Skyrim is one of my favorite games in the world. Yeah. And and I've talked to you about how many times I've purchased that damn Yeah, Todd game. Howard's got your number down. Oh, my God. I'm on some kind of government list for them, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But let's see. PlayStation 3. I want to say I bought it twice on the PlayStation 3. Once on the Xbox One. Uh, and then when the Switch rolled around, I bought it on the damn Switch too. Didn't you get it for PC? No, it's almost but it's almost free. It's like seven dollars with the all the stuff. Fifth version was the PSVR version. Oh. so yeah, I've bought the game five times. It's, I mean, it's a great game. 
they're talking about releasing it again. It's kind of worth it. Yeah. I, I mean, love as long game. as as long as they keep improving the graphics with each release, I'm totally okay with them milking it. Because yeah. at least it's not a Fallout 76 situation. I've heard Fallout 76 has kind of redeemed itself later in the day, but well, uh, they've undone that very recently because they just they there was always like these broken parts of the world building where you could like glitch walls together to build your encampments because their tools that they released were shitty and then they took they fixed they patched that and took a bunch of other stuff out so now you can't do cool building stuff so it's kind of like the people who were still giving a crap about that game have now officially gotten really pissed (laughs) off and don't want to deal with it at all anymore i i can honestly tell you uh i'm not the biggest fallout fan i played fallout 3 a bit I played Fallout 4 a bit, never got into 76 at all because of all the the negativity surrounding it. So, But we're going to take one more quick break, and then when we come back, I kind of want to walk through uh, the years, the timeline of Nintendo, and all the different innovations that they created. So stick around. We'll be right back. Voting isn't just going to the polls on Election Day. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Democracy Works is committed to helping you vote no matter what. You can sign up for election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step assistance requesting your mailing ballot, explore your options for returning your voted mail ballot, check your voter registration status, find your polling site, and make sure you have the appropriate ID. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. All right, welcome back. So what I want to talk about now is we're going to kind of walk through Nintendo's console releases and just kind of look at all the different uh, innovation for innovation's sake that they've come up with and maybe look at all the places where that innovation is led. So we talked about uh, back in, and I'm, I'm cheating, I'm reading this off of Wikipedia at this point, they released a lot of uh, color TV game series, which are kind of like your Magnavox Odysseys mm-hmm. and your, your Pong-based yeah, systems. Ga- and... I looked at the games on them. There was, it was a Brick Breaker. It was mm-hmm. a Pong-type game. They didn't even I didn't even see a name for it, just Pong-type in quotation marks. So nothing and, really crazy back then. Well, it was crazy for them. They were a playing card company. True. And they were making some toys. They were making like one of those extendo grabbers, um, a baseball pitching machine, you know, like st- early or mid 70s toys that were really taken off. Right. So in 83 is when they really hit with the Nintendo Entertainment System. Mm-hmm. What they brought with that was the innovation of having it be a family affair. Mm-hmm. They brought it from being a niche marketplace like it was with the Atari or the, you know, the Vic 20 or the Commodore. Uh, and they really made it a household product, an event. And I remember specifically when we got, I want to say it was in 1986 when we ended up with the Nintendo entertainment system. Yeah. It came out in 85 here. So that'd be sounds about yeah. right. And we didn't get it right away, but I still remember playing Super Mario Brothers with a guide with all the maps and everything like you'd see nowadays for your your Halos and oh, your Red Brady Deads game and, printouts. Yeah, yeah I and those. Nintendo Power maps and mm-hmm. all that. But what it really brought to the table was making video game playing a family affair, making it okay to have in your house is just like a center of your yeah. your living room asking your mom for help to get past that certain level mm-hmm. yep. and then let's see super nintendo was released in 1990 which is i mean you got to think seven years back then when technology is moving really fast it's pretty impressive for a console to stay relevant and like a huge deal for seven years straight. Because yeah, they other had video something like 700 consoles, plus system games on the yeah, NES. Yeah, and other video game consoles would be come and go 
every holiday season. You'd get a new Atari mm-hmm. every Christmas season because they're trying to dupe you into buying the next version of right. And if Brick you look, at, if you look at the uh, Atari twenty six hundred to the to the fifty two hundred, there's not a whole lot of graphical change. And I'm sure yeah. some tech nerds out there going, "Oh my god, it was so much better because of this." this and yeah. it's like whatever. Yeah. Okay. But once but, you get sprites on the Nintendo, there's no going back. Once you get moving backgrounds, scrolling backgrounds, you know, you know that cuts, sound cut music, scenes. yeah, cutscenes were a huge, impressive deal. And Super Nintendo, yes, it was an advance forward, but basically, it was the same kind of advance that it was the Ataris were. It was from twenty six to fifty two, fifty two to uh, seventy eight hundred. It was just a graphical increase. It was better graphics, more buttons, but it really, I mean, besides from. What that? What is that X chip that, that made rotating screens possible for Star Fox? I can't remember what it's called. I don't remember. But they, the point was, the graphics weren't a huge departure in style or technology, more as it was just an improvement in the same lane of how they were doing things. Like, if you remember, it's still side-scrolling games. It's not that much different. It's just better uh, definition in the graphics. And then right around six years later, so right around that six, seven-year time frame again, mm-hmm. uh, they released the Nintendo 64. And as you say, the Nintendo 64 was kind of an increase with uh, the thumbstick controlling, mm-hmm. uh, working a joystick into a smaller form factor. Yeah. 3D graphics were... 3D I mean, graphics, People were losing sound their mind and, at that preview of Super Mario 64. Super Mario 64 was huge. I loved Pilot Wings. Yeah, and well, and like... Another thing that Nintendo does brilliantly with each generation is a launch with a flagship game. There's always a Mario game. Mm-hmm. And PlayStation and Xbox still didn't figure that out when they came out with the PlayStation 2. There was no flagship. There was no Crash Bandicoot 2 that came out for PlayStation 2. They'd already like finished that franchise and that was their big like guy in the 90s when they were competing against Super Nintendo. Same like like with Spyro, but there was no big Spyro game on PS2. There was no big anything on PS3. There is no big anything on PS4, but there's always a, a, a Mario game. Right, and the closest that the PlayStation got to a franchise at that point, again, is when they started doing the Final Fantasy games, 7, 8, and 9, yeah. all releasing, and I think 10 was on playstation 2 as well but in those there isn't a continual character it's not right. cloud strife on the box cover you yeah know. but uh yeah but nintendo yeah 64 very, nintendo 64 brought us uh super mario 64 was huge but also huge. donkey kong country donkey, no no donkey kong country was uh super nintendo my bad right. donkey kong 64 mm-hmm. but super smash bros was a huge deal i feel mm-hmm. like that was golden eye like a part yeah golden eye as as far as first person shooters, I mean, we all know Doom was first, but playing on a console with your friends and shit talking them in the same room, and like those creative <laughs> Four player game split type screen modes, mod- madness, right? It was it was it really brought it from being a computer interactive piece of entertainment to a game you play with your friends, right? Which and then we lead into the Smash and everything like that, mm-hmm. and then of course we talked about uh, Conker's Bad for a Day, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. It's just that was a footnote for the adults. Yeah, and I love that game. I will go out on the. I, I rebought it for Xbox. Game. I have it too. Yeah, I got good. it somewhere. Yeah, it's good. Uh, see, five years later, so in nineteen ninety six to two thousand and one, two thousand one saw the release of the Nintendo GameCube, mm-hmm. which is interesting because it's the same time as the Xbox, but a year after PS two. So PS two had that built in DVD player, and so they sold insanely well. The mm-hmm. PS two had so many consoles already out on the market and the GameCube in comparison didn't sell that great but I think that's a lot to do with it. Right. And so, at the at the same time, I mean the GameCube was competing against the PlayStation 2 which had already had a real a huge market share. Mm-hmm. They were really really entrenched, really really dug in and they had a great lineup of games mm-hmm. and DVD player man. And a DVD player. Yep. Uh, Xbox was also in there mm-hmm. and then Sega Dreamcast was also competing at that point. Yeah, but as we Dreamcast, said, Dreamcast kind of shot itself in yeah, the foot. Yeah, it came out 2 years too early. It came out before the two, in 98, 2 years before the PlayStation 2 and it was just as good, but the the price was too high. The games weren't good enough. Agreed. But yes, the, and that led us to the the DVD playing games of Nintendo, mm-hmm. which uh, we've moved 
onto into the the Wii and the Wii U, but then they fell back into cart-based systems with well, now, uh, the, uh, the, the Switch. Te- yeah, the technology caught up with what they wanted. Right. Uh, so, of course, that leads us from 2001 to 2006, so it looks like we're moving on a five-year timetable now. They released the Nintendo Wii. Which is uh, their greatest success. Agreed. That thing sold... I mean, Gangbusters. We, all, we all grew up on the Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and it established everything in video games that we now know. But pure numbers wise, your grandma has a Wii. Your, mm-hmm. you know, the rec center has a Wii. Everybody had a Wii. Everybody had Wii Sports. Everybody knows how to play. Right. Again, because it. as we discussed, it was designed more for the casual gamer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't designed to be, you know. Yeah, what no, the it's Xbox not trying and the to tell you a story. Was. It's not trying to impress you. It's just trying to let you have fun. It's just trying to let you enjoy some things without it making you go down and get COVID at the bowling alley. <laughs> they were they were 15 years too early in their foresight. Uh, the Wii was the first model, by the way, that really incorporated an internet-enabled system. It's true. PS2 had it, didn't use it. I think only Ghost Recon you could play with. And then Halo... Um, I don't think the first Halo had online multiplayer. The second one obviously did, but I the, mean, it yeah. was it was many years after after at that point. Well, one of the key innovations now that we're now that we're into the Wii U or the Wii, we're able to talk more strongly about the innovations that they were striving to make. Mm-hmm. And one of the and like I mentioned with the internet connectivity, brought us the the Wii U Shop or the Wii Shop. It also brought us Nintendo Netflix. Nintendo eShop. Netflix on the Wii was the first place you could stream Netflix. I don't know. Well, I think maybe besides the internet. I'm not sure. But you had to get a Wii, a disc for your Wii to watch Netflix. You had to put it in, and that was your Wii or your Netflix disc so you could stream stuff. Interesting. Yeah. One of the cool innovations with the eShop and the development of the, or what they call mm. the Wii Shop channel, uh, was what they call the virtual console. Yes. Which is something that they've incorporated into almost every single one of their consoles since. Yeah, they've always had backwards compatibility. Um, well, not always. They've been champions of backwards compatibility because you could play your Game Boy games on your Game Boy Color. You could play your Game Boy and Game Boy Color games on your Game Boy Advance, on your on the Wii, there was a slot for your GameCube discs. So they always wanted you to keep enjoying the games that you already had or to goad you into buying your older games again because they knew that people love their franchises. It's not They don't want the newest, best-looking thing. They want to have fun. Right. And that could be a 20-year-old video game, so that's what they want to sell. Right. And, and I mean... There's a built-in audience because you're, you everyone gets nostalgic, mm-hmm. and nostalgia sells huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the different consoles are now featuring some sort of backwards compatibility, but if you look at the, sto- the source of it, the virtual console really kind of set that whole thing in motion. For sure. Uh, or at least made it readily accessible where you didn't have to run eight times a different hardware. Yep. Now that Wii led into the Wii U, so the Wii U in 2006 led to the Wii U in 2012. Is that one backwards compatible? The Wii U, uh, only in the case, it does play certain Wii games, yes. Mm-hmm. And it does play virtual console games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a, in a sense, yes, it is backwards compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also enabled you, now I know the, the as far as backwards compatibility goes, the Wii had it up on... The Wii U, because the Wii, you could shove a, a, a GameCube game in there and plug your GameCube controller right. in there and still play those on there. Right. So uh, they really did hone in on that. Only um, the first generation. They did stop that feature in, yeah. the, in the slim Wiis. I don't know what they were called, but the second... And they always do that. They've always got some second generation that's a slightly better build. As they work out the hardware kinks. Right. The overheatings, the broken jo- the Joy-Con drifts, stuff like that. Still nothing as bad as what Microsoft did. We won't get into you red rings. I went to four Xboxes. That, that, that was cheap thermal paste, and that's an amazing thing to fuck up. Thermal paste is literally like four cents <laughs> an entire tube, <laughs> and they used the cheapest shit they could get and ruined their <laughs> reputation. Just shot it all to hell. Mm-hmm. Millions of allowances down the drain. But the Wii U, I mean, like we talked about, the Wii U wasn't so much of an innovator as as it was a stepping stone towards the Switch. It would it was innovative, just not a game changer. 
Right. You know, people didn't like having the screen in their hands, you know. It was clunky. It wasn't enough of a graphical improvement over the Wii to feel different. But if you wanted to play those good good new Mario games, you had to get it. Right. And 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 with the Wii U, uh like you say, uh, they were fine they like they've always had a market share of the handheld community. Mm-hmm. They've always been very very strong in the handheld markets. The Game Boy line, the DS, the 3DS, all those lines have been extraordinarily big sellers for uh the Nintendo family. And, and there's really no one that competes. You had close. your Wonder Swans, you had your Game Gears, you had your Flash in the Pan. And the funny thing is, is that all those other um, alternatives were better systems. Yeah, the Vita, the, the Vita, the, the, uh, the PS, the PSP, the PS Vita, the Game Gear, all looked better, all performed better. They just didn't have the games. They didn't have the games. They didn't have. The hardware was more apt to fail. Mm-hmm. Like I can't tell you how many I, when I was hunting to get a, a Game Gear, how many I fought through because they had to be recapped. Yeah, you got to take it apart and put new capacitors in there. And the 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 pricing on PlayStation Vita games was very high. Mm-hmm. The memory cost was very high. But you had fifteen years worth of previous Game Boy games that you could get for a dollar at any rummage sale. You know. Right. And instantly be playing something great and something classic. And up through the DS Lite, they would all still play. Mm-hmm. And that's when they started, once they got through the DS Lite to the DSi, they took out the compatibility for GBA yeah. back paddle But games, you could still but... play your old DS games up through the 3DS XL. So a game mm-hmm. console that's still being sold right now, you can play a 20-year-old Nintendo DS game on. Mm-hmm. Actually, when did the DS come out? You got that number? Uh, I can't. I was definitely in high school when the first Nintendo DS came out. Uh, Nintendo DS was originally in 2004. So yeah, you got 16 years worth of previous games that you could play, boot up in your brand new console and mm. all play flawlessly. Uh, yeah, the DS was in 2004. I was looking for the and DS Lite. I believe Lite. now that they're going to stop doing the DS. DS Lite was in 2006. Yeah, so they're going to stop doing the DS because now they've got the Switch, which is portable. So they're going to be... Um, joining their two branches of portable gaming and console gaming into one, and now you've just got your portable console. Right, and I think that's, like we said, we were talking about the innovation within the the Wii U, and I think the Wii U led to the innovations that brought us to Switch. Mm -hmm. They realized that there was a lot that they could do, and if if you set a Switch right next to a Wii U pad... They're about the same size. Mm-hmm. You get the same kind of form factor. They learned how to dock with a TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, they learned, I think, all the lessons that they needed to learn to go, we don't need to necessarily be doing 3D anymore. Yep. They pulled themselves out of the 3D market. And, and even now, uh, all the handhelds that they release now, if you're not buying a Switch, you're probably buying a 2DS. Yeah. And I, I had the 3DS, and it's a novel. The 3D is a novelty at best. There's I barely not, ever used it. There's not much depth. The screen is so small that you can't even, like, even if with great depth on their best games, it's still not that impressive. Even it's on a, the XL systems, yeah. yeah. It's a cool idea, and it is cool to see, but it just doesn't change your gaming experience at all right and and just to show what i mean as far as quality goes i'm holding in my hand my nintendo game boy micro the famicom edition the one i was telling you about Mm -hmm. my absolute favorite yeah it's half a palm size it's two and two and a half fingers wide compared to my phone look at the size of my phone compared to one quarter of the phone yeah and so here's what i'm gonna say I'm willing to bet you money that this... I haven't charged this in like six months. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet you it turns right on. What game you got in there? Let's see. Ah, Metroid Zero Mission. Yeah, that's got juice for it for sure. I love Booter. Metroid. That's and fine. that's another one. Legendary game. And you, yeah, I hope you, I hope you guys heard that. That ching. God, that's such a satisfying sound. It really is. But, you know, they've got tentpole, tentpole franchises that you can come back to after 15 years and just be as excited for a sequel. I play the shit out of those Metro games still to this day. Mm-hmm. The original Nintendo Legend of Zelda games, I still play to this day. Mm-hmm. Mario 1, 2, and 3, I still play to this day. But we were talking about 
the Wii U leading to the Switch. Now, they realized that 3D wasn't necessarily their, their avenue. But what they had in their hands, pun intended, was a way to put a $400, $300, $400 console in everybody's hands. Yep. And make it a must-have. Because the thing is, is they have the killer apps. Yep. They have the thing that's cool. Mm-hmm. It's got a cool factor that a lot of other systems don't because they're doing their own thing. So your ability to, t- and I still remember watching the original Switch commercials when they first were coming out with the Switch and the announcement videos and watching people pop it out of their pocket and set it on the table and play with a bunch of friends. I'm like, I'm not ever going to do that. I'm not going to play with a bunch of people. I want to play by myself. I don't play online gaming. I don't play with other people. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is, Instead of having to have like a join cable and play everyone play on their own Game Boys, you're able to sit there and pop off a Joy-Con. Right. The fact that half of your controller is a full controller for your friend is brilliant. Yeah. It's so smart to just be able to go, oh, well, I've got one controller. Let's turn it into two and let's both play. Yeah. It's great fun. Absolutely. And, and so they've found a way to take this... And make it a must-have item. I mean, this my 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 drummer Brandon has been looking for a switch for months, and during this pandemic, they're sold out. Oh, they're still sold out everywhere. Yeah, I saw something about that a while ago. Secondary market people are paying two and three times what they're worth. Oof, never in my days. Not not for me. No, thank you. Speaking of which, I actually just sold my 3ds last week for like full price. I sold it for like 150 bucks. With a couple games, which is way more than a several-year-old video game handheld should be worth. Yeah, I'm thinking if I start really getting poor on money, I can just sell all my systems and live for comfortably for a couple of months. Yeah, you got the Nintendo cash for sure. <laughs> but, the, I mean, they, they really delved into what they could do to make a must-have product and, and make it that cool factor, make it that, you know, it piece of technology. You know, and and again, it's not because it's a graphical powerhouse, mm-hmm. because it's not. No. In fact, all the games that have been ported have had to be kind of dumbed down a little bit. Yeah. The Witcher, uh, Bioshock games, mm-hmm. uh, Deus Ex, uh, XCOM, all of these big games that have been brought over as ports have had to have graphical reductions. But get to play it in your car you get to play it in your car you get to play it on an airplane you get to play it on the bus uh, you're you know you're waiting for your kid to get out of a uh, a swim lessons you can be uh, throwing your hat at different creatures in the mario odyssey game and i really wonder if the meeting was for hey we need a new console or for hey we need a new handheld or if it was just hey why don't we just do both yeah it's it's difficult to say and and, and i'd love to have been a fly on the wall while that was being discussed but I mean, for one way or another, Nintendo has found over the course of years to find a way to be the must-have product. Going as far back as the NES to the Super NES and all the way up uh, through the Switch and even the Wii U. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as bad as sales as the Wii U suffered, people still ran out and grabbed it. Mm-hmm. They're still, right now, hard as hell to find oh, on yeah. the secondary market. The Wii U... Yeah. is hard to find yeah. because it still runs games like Breath of the Wild and, right. and, and all these different virtual shops. And and it's crazy is that we're three years into the life cycle of the Switch. So by judging... Two or we, three more years. If we go by history, we've got two or three more years. But it's still selling like hotcakes. Mm-hmm. It sells better every month. It has only been going... Up and up and up. Yeah, Brandon just texted me the other day. Says I found a Switch Lite finally. Yeah, and yeah, they just rolled out the Switch Lite, and they haven't released a second generation of the normal Switch, which they always do. So there's gonna be a lot. Point of fact, there life. was a revision. They did release a revision with a better battery life. Oh, they did. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. They call that the Red Box. Oh well, still they've. I think that they're gonna try to squeeze this one out for longer than their traditional life cycle has been in the past. Just because it gives them more time to innovate, it gives them more time to innovate. The games are still, it, I think it's selling better than they had previously. Where and like, I felt like the Wii U was kind of, hey, we need to keep up with 
PlayStation and Xbox, but I think by now they've learned we don't need to keep up. We've got enough cash reserves. People love our titles enough that we need to focus more on the licenses and the software and the hardware is going to become kind of secondary and will only improve it when we feel like we need to for our games rather than right. to keep up with the companies or the and, competition. And I don't think they're, they're they're in a position where they're not saying, oh, well, Xbox is releasing this, PlayStation is releasing this, we need to jump on this right now. They don't need to do that. And like you said, they can focus this holiday season instead of putting out a new console, they can focus on making more of the console they already made so it's not sold out everywhere. And pumping out hits. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what they're going to be focusing on. And they're going to be dumping their money behind the scenes into that next great big uh, project that's going to make everybody say, holy shit, mm-hmm. take notice and change the game again. Yeah, right now, Nintendo. So Nintendo always has their Nintendo events where they have like a YouTube channel where they come out with like a series of trailers for the next couple releases or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's nothing on the docket. There is no mention or announced games for their slate. It's just a big blank question mark. So people are like, really like, oh, what's going to happen next for Nintendo? But the answer apparently seems to be, who gives a shit? We've got tons of great games. Mm-hmm. We've got so many games. I don't even know which we ones to play. We can't keep our Nintendo on the shelf. Yeah. There's too many games, too much good stuff. Can't, don't have enough time for it all. Nintendo can slow down. And that's something really great to hear that a game or a company that's, primarily first party titles all the big nintendo switch stuff is from nintendo that's super impressive mm-hmm. all the big microsoft and playstation games aren't from microsoft and sony no no, no. and in fact there's there's such a strong retail marketplace for uh secondhand nintendo games like mario and zelda and and all of these games, you'll always find it. You want you want to go to a GameStop and find it for twenty bucks. You're never going to do that. Mm-hmm. The Mario games hold their value like nothing yeah. I've ever seen. Old Pokemon games cost more than they do new. Yeah, than they did new. You Absolutely, can't, like, you can't get Pokemon Black and White anymore because nobody's selling them. Yeah, unless you pay fifty or sixty bucks. People are holding eBay. on to those things like collectibles. Mm-hmm. So, well, we're welcome. We welcome our new Nintendo overlords. Whatever you decide to create for us and innovate for us, we're ready for it. Uh, you guys have always been the forefront of the video gaming revolution, whether or not you get the attention for being so or not. But, Thomas, I want to thank you for coming on and talking with us again. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Absolutely. My home is your home. So uh, I, I look forward to many more conversations here coming up. Uh, and as for all of you, I want to thank you guys for coming back for another episode of the Feel Your Fandom podcast. I could literally talk about video games all day. I could literally talk about Nintendo until my face turns blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I just really get a kick out of. I get a real big charge out of it. So I want to thank you guys for, for tuning in and listening to me geek out about something I'm extraordinarily passionate about. So uh, stick around. Next week we're going to be talking with uh, my new friend, John Champion, again, talking about uh, Star Trek and uh, some of the many conversations that me and him have had behind the scenes about Star Trek. So that's going to be very exciting. But until then, I want to thank you all for listening, and I want to remind you the same thing I remind you every single time. I'm going to say that until I'm blue in the face, too. Everything is fandom. Fandom is everything. Y'all take care.